Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Real Science Exchange, the podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal nutrition. Hi, I'm Scott Sorrell, one of your hosts here tonight at the Real Science Exchange. Tonight, we're continuing the uh, new mini-series of podcasts recorded at the 2022 Cornell Nutrition Conference uh, called New Revelations in Transition Cow Nutrition. I'd first like to welcome, though, my co-host, Dr. Clay Zimmerman. Uh, Clay, thank you for joining me here once again. And as always, uh, what's in your glass tonight? Tonight, I, you know, being the world class athlete that I am, not, <laughs> I'm drinking my favorite sports drink oh. this evening. Oh, very nice. Well, good. Well, tonight I'm having something called that. Uh, so I wanted to have something that I thought Je uh, Jose would drink, but I don't know what he drinks. So he's from Brazil. So I'm having a, a caprena. And that's kind of a, it's made with kind of a Brazilian rum and a little bit like a, a mojito or kind of like a margarita, but it's, these are very tasty. I kind of fell in love with them when I was in uh, Brazil not that long ago. So, uh, so cheers, Clay. Cheers. Yeah. Tonight's pubcast stories are brought to you by Reassure Precision Release Choline. Reassure is the most researched encapsulated choline on the market today, consistently delivering results to your transition cows of higher peak milk reduced metabolic disorders, and even in utero benefits to her calf leading to growth and health improvements. Visit Balchem.com to learn more. So as we begin tonight's discussion, we'd like to note that this is the second in the series of four podcasts taken from the mini-symposia Balchem sponsored at the 2022 Cornell Nutrition Conference. If you'd like to see the full presentations and slide uh, decks, go to Balchem.com slash real science and search for the 2022 Cornell mini symposia. This podcast features Dr. Jose Santos from the University of Florida. Clay, would you like to give us a quick intro to uh, what the, uh, our audience is going to see when they uh, look at the presentation? Yeah. I mean, you know, basically uh, Jose was, he was uh, making a case for, um, for choline being a required nutrient in, in, for all dairy cows. Um, so he, um, he spent a little bit of time, you know, just giving a little history of choline, um, in, in diets and so forth. And, you know, did, did a nice job walking through the, the history in, uh, of choline and dairy cows, which really goes back to the 1980s and, and, and ended with some very recent research that has been done in his lab. Uh, to really make a really make a great case for choline being a required nutrient for all dairy cows. Excellent. I look forward to the presentation, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. I hope that I will uh, present to you and make the case that choline uh, fits those criteria, and it is a required nutrient for dairy cows. So during this uh, uh, new revelations on transition cow nutrition symposium. I'm going to spend the next 40 minutes discussing with you some aspects of choline nutrition for dairy cows. So in my uh, presentation, I'll give you a very brief history on choline, the role of choline on intermediary metabolism, then some new data on the effects of choline in reducing fatty liver in dairy cows. I'll spend a little bit of time talking about how choline and what are the impacts of choline supplementation during transition and subsequent uh, performance 
uh, productive performance and health. And then I hope to make the case that uh, uh, every cow really, or most cows respond to choline. And the example I'm gonna use is uh, uh, body condition score in response to choline. And then I'll finish up with uh, some potential mechanisms. And I hope by uh, presenting this data, I'll make a strong case that choline is a required nutrient for ruminants as it is uh, for other species. So choline was discovered, uh, uh, the first uh, studies in the 1700s by uh, chemists and pharmacists, but it wasn't until uh, about 40 years ago that uh, work in England by Derek Lindsay here, uh, who showed that uh, most phospholipids in ruminants uh, are synthesized de novo. And the reason for that uh, uh, are synthesized de novo from uh, uh, choline that's uh, being uh, synthesized primarily through transmethylation reactions. Okay? And the reason for that is because uh, most dietary choline that's present either in feeds or if we were to supplement the salts uh, are degraded by the gastrointestinal microbes. And this was then uh, clearly demonstrated by Dr. Richard Mann at the University of Maryland, who confirmed those findings and showed that more than 90% of the choline in feeds do not show up uh, past the rumen. So it don't, it doesn't, they don't show up in the small uh, intestine. Choline or those uh, ingredients containing choline don't deliver choline for uh, absorption in the small intestine. So this required the development of rumen protected products. And upon the development of those products, then numerous universities in the US and in Europe, in Europe conducted experiments primarily with transition cows uh, to evaluate the impacts of supplemental choline as rumen protected choline on performance and health of dairy cows. Now, choline, uh, I think it is a required nutrient because it's uh, critical for synthesis of phosphatidylcholine as well as uh, uh, sphingolipids, which are needed for integrity of cells, either cell membranes in every cell or the integrity of narrow tissue. But choline also plays a role in this one carbon metabolism because choline can be oxidized to betaine and betaine can donate methyl groups in transmethylation reactions that affect gene transcription. Choline is also a substrate to be acetylate to acetylcholine that is part of neurotransmission. Uh, it's important for lipid transport and absorption. So in uh, multiple species, the recommended daily allowances have been established such that for humans, such as Dr. Zimmerman here, uh, the amounts of choline that are uh, suggest to be consumed daily vary according to physiological state and sex, but anywhere between 400 and 550 milligrams per day. In the case of uh, uh, laying hands, depending upon the intake, uh, the amount can be approximately uh, 0.6 grams per day. Uh, young chicks, it's less, 100 uh, micrograms per day, or 100 milligrams per day, I'm sorry. Uh, lactating sows, depending upon the intake, somewhere between four and six grams per day. But then when we get to the adult dairy cow, uh, there is this question mark. We just uh, have not established uh, the recommended daily amounts to be fed. And I think part of the reason is because uh, the microbes destroy choline. So we have to feed 
as a rumen protected product, which creates some uncertainty on the exact amount that's delivered for absorption. So that's one aspect. And the other one is that uh, we probably don't have a lot of dose response experiments demonstrating the optimum amount of choline to be fed to dairy cows. But because we don't know the exact amount, it doesn't mean that it's not a required nutrient for cows. Okay. So obviously choline has major roles, but I'll show you some of the biochemistry of the major metabolic pathways involving choline metabolism. So choline, when absorbed uh, from the gastrointestinal tract, can be acetylate in uh, nerve cells into acetylcholine that's important for nerve transmission between neurons or in the neuromuscular junction. Choline can be oxidized to this uh, betaine, which is a trimethylglycine product, which can donate methyl groups to homocysteine to regenerate methionine. And in this process, there is an interplay with vitamins of the B complex, such as folic acid. And methionine can be a precursor for synthesis of S-adenosylmethionine, which is the universal uh, methyl donor. So during this uh, pathway of resynthesis of methionine and transmethylation reaction, we can have S-adenosylmethionine that can donate methyl groups, and this can be uh, in, the synthesis can be enhanced by providing choline to be oxidized to betaine. But choline can also be phosphorylated into phosphocholine, and phosphocholine can now uh, 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 combine with CTP uh, to form CDP choline, and CDP choline is substrate to be uh, phosphorylated to. Uh, phosphatidylcholine, which is the predominant uh, uh, phospholipid in cell membranes. This pathway of the novo synthesis of phospholipid takes place in almost every cell in the body. But there is a second uh, de novo, a second pathway for the novo synthesis of phosphatidylcholine through uh, transmethylation of uh, phosphatidylethanolamine or the PMT pathway, in which Methyl groups are donated by S-adenosylmethionine uh, to CDP ethanolamine to synthesize phosphatidylcholine. So we can synthesize phosphatidylcholine through donation of methyl groups from S-adenosylmethionine, which can be, uh, the abundance can be enhanced by oxidation of choline into betaine, or we can synthesize phosphatidylcholine through this Kennedy pathway this uh, de novo synthesis of phosphatidylcholine through phosphorylation of absorbed choline in gastrointestinal tract. So there's two major pathways for synthesis of phospholipids uh, in cells. Now, when cows undergo transition, we know very well that uh, as cows approach calving, uh, there is an increase in nutrient needs because of the growth of the fetus, concurrent with synthesis of colostrum and uptake of nutrients by the mammary gland. At the same time, unfortunately, particularly when cows are in the last week of gestation, dry matter intake decreases in most cows. And combined with the hormonal change that, that take place in that period, there is an a, a, a upregulation in lipolytic signals to accommodate the needs of the mammary gland as cows uh, begin lactation. And this uh, results in extensive lipomobilization. Okay? Uh, adipose tissue, subcutaneous or uh, uh, abdominal adipose tissue is uh, mobilized to supply nutrients to the mammary gland, particularly 
long-chain fatty acids for synthesis of milk fat in colostrum and synthesis of milk fat uh, in uh, uh, milk. But those fatty acids can be taken up by other tissues, including the liver. But if in excess, the liver will find other pathways to dispose of the excess of fatty acids, primarily through ketogenesis, which can export ketone bodies now as an energy source peripheral tissues, including the mammary gland for the novel synthesis of uh, short of medium chain fatty acids. But when excess of fatty acids are taken up by the liver, they can accumulate as fat droplets, as droplets of triacylglycerol, which are quite dynamic, uh, uh, quote unquote, organelles within the liver, not just a storage site. One of the uh, uh, impacts of accumulation of fat in the liver is that it can induce uh, uh, inflammatory response in the hepatocytes. Okay? So eventually this cow might develop some, some degree of hepatic lipidosis. And unfortunately it takes time for cows to dispose of those fatty acids, okay? Because ruminants evolve without the same ability to export triacylglycerols as very low density lipoproteins as other species. But this uh, uh, hepatic triacylglycerol can leave the liver as very low density lipoproteins which will deliver fatty acids to peripheral cells, including uh, the mammary gland for milk fat synthesis. But when in excess, that can damage the hepatocytes, can induce a pro-inflammatory response. And in vitro uh, studies have uh, uh, shown very clearly that uh, excess triacylglycerol in the hepatocyte can suppress ureogenesis and gluconeogenesis, important functions for the ruminant liver. So this can affect uh, potentially the health of the cow and influence uh, 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 animal performance. So remember that one of the pathways for synthesis of phosphatidylcholine is through transmethylation reactions, okay, through that PMT pathway. And uh, a potential donor of methyl groups is methionine through uh, the action of acid and azeomethionine. Unfortunately, when cows undergo the transition period, methionine is uh, limited because now there is increased uptake by the mammary gland for synthesis of milk proteins, including uh, 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 synthesis of immunoglobulins that are transferred uh, into colostrum. So this probably limits the supply of methyl donors for synthesis of phosphatidylcholine. So I believe that there is probably an increased need of choline in this period not only to provide more methyl donors uh, by uh, uh, being oxidized to betaine, but also uh, to provide choline to be phosphorylate for synthesis of phosphocholine and eventually synthesis of phosphatidylcholine. That would be critical at this point. So when animals uh, have deficiency of choline or when they have extensive uh, uh, lipomobilization, they can develop fatty liver, as in this example here. Uh, shown in this picture. And obviously, fatty liver is a common uh, uh, phenomenon in dairy cows. Approximately 40% to 50% of the cows uh, in literature have shown uh, at least a 5% concentration of triacylglycerol uh, in the hepatic tissue in the first two weeks of lactation. So fatty liver is very prevalent as far as we can tell. And we believe that this has implication to subsequent production and health. For the sake of time, I'm going to show you data only on incidence of disease. But uh, recently we addressed, we asked the question, what is the association between the degree of uh, 
uh, triacylglycerol infiltration in the hepatic tissue in the first week postpartum with production, health, and survival. And here is the health data of those cows. And what we found was a linear association between hepatic triacylglycerol and uh, incidence of disease, either clinical or subclinical disease. So we had about 330 cows in which we collect liver tissue on day eight postpartum. And we evaluate incidence of disease for the first three months of lactation. And what we found was that, was that incidence of metritis increased as the hepatic triacylglycerol increased from 2.5% to 7.5%. So if we look at morbidity, we saw a tendency for increase in morbidity in those cows. We saw a tendency for increase in the risk of those cows leaving the herd by 300 days in milk. So increase from 8.9 to 13.7%. And cows that had increased hepatic triacylglycerol concentration in the liver had, uh, were associated with an increased risk of hyperketonemia and uh, hypocalcemia. And this is subclinical hypocalcemia. And this is hyperketonemia in the first week, first two weeks of lactation, I'm sorry. So cows that have increased hepatic lipidosis are at greater risk of developing disease, which compromise survival and that has economic implications to the producer. Now, why do we focus on this uh, transition period? Because this is the time when the concentrations of phosphatidylcholine in plasma are the smallest uh, in the lactation. So we can see here that when cows approach calving and during the first two weeks of lactation, the concentration of phosphatidylcholines in plasma are reduced in lactating dairy cows. This is why we think this is the optimum time to uh, provide choline to cows to uh, 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 improve uh, synthesis of phosphatidylcholine at this critical time in lactation. Now, we think that choline by being a building block for phosphatidylcholine and phosphatidylcholine by being a building block for synthesis of cell membranes, this becomes critical uh, to the ability of tissues to export uh, triacylglycerol. So uh, choline has these lipotropic effects. So here are two experiments. The first one from University of Wisconsin in which cows were subject to uh, a fatty liver induction protocol. So they were limit fed to consume only 30% of uh, their net energy for lactation needs to develop fatty liver. And half of those cows were assigned to a treatment that received rumen protected choline. Half of the cows remained as untreated controls. And what the authors showed was that in every cow, there was an increase in hepatic triacylglycerol content, but this increase was uh, reduced in cows that received rumen protected choline. So we can see this marked reduction in hepatic triacylglycerol when cows, uh, 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 on uh, pre pregnant prepartum cows, uh, received choline and uh, were subject to feed restriction. Uh, Marco Zenobi here at the University of Florida addressed the same question, but then he asked, what is uh, the response uh, in terms of hepatic triacylglycerol when uh, we increase the dose of uh, choline ion fed as rumen protected choline? And we can clearly see that when cows were induced to develop fatty liver, the hepatic triacylglycerol increase, but there was a linear decrease in the hepatic concentration of triacylglycerol as the intake of choline ion increased up to 25.8 grams per day 
in a room and protected form. So again, two experiments showing that choline has lipotropic effects in uh, dairy cows. So in uh, Marco Zanobi's work, we collect liver tissue and then we decide to explore uh, are genes involved in uh, uh, the effects of choline in the hepatic tissue altered by supplying choline to those cows. So let's just look at this heat map here. So if you look at the bottom of the heat map, we see the treatments, which are the dose of, doses of choline ion from 0 up to 25.8. Each row here represents a gene that was uh, uh, differentially uh, regulated by the level of choline fed. And as we go from the red to the green, we see an increase in expression of that gene. In other words, an increase in the message to synthesize a particular protein. As we go from green to red, we see a decrease in the expression of that gene. And we can clearly see that genes involved in antioxidant defense of the cell, gene involves, genes involved in synthesis of phospholipids, such as a polypoprotein B100, choline kinase, microsomal transfer triglyceride protein, they were all upregulated. They go from red to green as we move from left to right, in other words, as we increase choline ion intake. Whereas genes involved in synthesis of triacylglycerol or re-esterification of triacylglycerol, genes involved in acute phase protein synthesis or in pro-inflammatory response, they were down-regulated as cows consume more uh, choline ion. So this tells me that by supplementing choline ion, we reduce hepatic triacylglycerol and either the increased intake of choline or the increased synthesis of phosphatidylcholine or the combined effect with the reduced triacylglycerol alters gene regulation such that it upregulates genes important for export of triacylglycerol in the hepatocyte, by the hepatocyte, and it reduces uh, the expression of genes involved in re-esterification uh, of uh, uh, triacyl or fatty acids into triacylglycerol and genes involved in the pro-inflammatory response. Now, we decide to readdress this question with an experiment uh, that we completed uh, uh, recently. So we assign 110 cows to one of five treatments. We use the same uh, uh, hepatic lipidosis induction protocol. So we had cows that were fed at Lipton for a period of five days, and then all the cows underwent a period of feed restriction to supply only half of the calories that they need at that stage of gestation uh, and according to their maintenance needs. Then we applied one of five treatments and we measured lots of things, including intake, and we took blood samples and liver samples at uh, strategic times. So liver was collected on day six and 13. I'll show you the data of day 13. And we took blood samples throughout the experiment. So the treatments were a negative control, no supplemental choline as room protect choline, or 12.9 grams of choline ion as room protect choline from one or two products. So a product with low choline chloride. And within this product, we doubled the dose of choline ion to 25.8 grams per day. And then we did the same, but with a product that had a high concentration of choline chloride. For the sake of time, I want to focus on the effect of choline, which are these four treatments against the control, and the effect of dose of choline, which is 12.9 to 
to 25.8 grams being fed per day. So just to show you that uh, we cause massive lipomobilization, this is the body weight change in nine day period. Cows lost two kilograms per day. They lost body condition. And by losing tissue, uh, uh, the marker that we use was uh, uh, fatty acid concentration in blood. And you can see that there's massive lipomobilization and there's increase in ketogenesis. Important point here is it didn't matter what treatment they were assigned to. They all had marked increase in fatty acid and, and, and blood ketone. So what I'm going to show to you here is independent of the level of lipomobilization, which was very similar uh, among all treatments. So here is the uh, dry matter intake and net energy intake of the cows and the net energy balance during the feed restriction period. So these cows were deficient in 10 megacalories per day. Okay. So our uh, treatment protocol induced negative energy balance as expected because we limit fed cows. And by doing that, we increase triacylglycerol in the hepatic tissue. So here's the concentration on day 13 during the period of feed restriction. And we can clearly see that we have high triacylglycerol concentration on the hepatic tissue on a wet basis, but the concentrations become smaller. They are reduced when cows were fed choline in the diet. And you can see that the reduction is greater when they are fed a larger dose from 12.9 to 25.8. Whether we look on hepatic triacylglycerol on aseous basis or on dry matter basis, we see exactly the same response. We see a decrease by feeding choline and we see a greater decrease as we increase the dose of choline. When we look at glycogen, we see the opposite uh, effect, which is uh, a very positive effect. We see an increase in glycogen by feeding choline and this increment is greater when we feed a larger dose of choline, such that if we look at the ratio of triacylglycerol to glycogen, which has been proposed as a marker of fatty liver, that ratio is much larger for cows in the control than in the choline supplemented group, and the ratio becomes further smaller when the cows receive a larger dose of choline. So this data corroborate uh, with data from uh, Reinaldo Cook, the Wisconsin experiment, as well as the data from Marcus Zenobi, the Florida experiment that I showed before. So I think there's very strong uh, information that choline has lipotropic effects. It reduces the risk of fatty liver in cows uh, when they undergo periods of negative nutrient balance. Now, in a subsequent experiment, we apply exactly the same treatment protocol. So we had uh, uh, feed restriction in those cows for a period of nine days. And then on day 19 of the experiment, we dose cows with this non-ionic detergent to coat lipoprotein uh, particles such that we prevent uh, lipoprotein lipase from hydrolyzing very low density triglycerides and very low density lipoprotein. So we look at the rate of accumulation of triacylglycerols. I'm sorry. Okay. So... This is what we did. We assigned cows to one of three treatments. So we had 33 cows. They were about 230 days of gestation. They were dry cows. And we assigned them to control. And then uh, to one of two uh, types or products uh, containing choline uh, ion or choline chloride. And the doses of choline ion that we fed were exactly 25.8 in both products. So for 
the sake of this conversation here today, I want to focus on the effect of supplementing choline and not necessarily on the effect of product. So the idea here is to prevent hydrolysis of triglycerides and VLDL particles in plasma or in serum such that we can look at accumulation and accumulation reflects the rate of hepatic secretion of triacylglycerol. And then at six hours after we dose this non-ionic detergent here, we collect lymph tissue from the superficial lymphatic vessels uh, in the back of the udder. Okay, so this is what we found. This is the concentration of triacylglycerol in serum over time over a period of 12 hours. And you can see that the accumulation is great, greater in the dashed lines than in the continuous line. So much so that we have a treatment by time interaction. The dashed lines represent the cows that receive 25.8 grams of rumen protective choline. So we, when we analyze the area under the curve, we can clearly see the cows supplemented with rumen protected choline have a greater accumulation of triacylglycerol, meaning that they have a greater secretion of hepatic VLDL, which is the vehicle to export triacylglycerols from the liver. And we think this is part of the mechanism for reduction in fatty liver in cows, as it is the mechanism uh, for reduction of fatty liver when choline is supplemented to monogastric animals. So again, cows seem to behave uh, uh, very similar to monogastric species and choline uh, uh, clearly shows an increased ability to export triacylglycerol, which would reduce uh, fatty liver in cows. Now, when we evaluate the lymph composition in those cows, so these are the cows in green that receive rumen protected choline. The cows in red are those that were controlled. Uh, we have 30 cows that we sample lymph, that we were able to collect lymph fluid. As we go from blue to brown or red, the concentration of that analyte increase in the lymphatic fluid. And here are the analytes that were differentially uh, uh, concentrated in, uh, in the lymphatic fluid of cows. So you can see that they included diglycerides, they included triglycerides with different fatty acid composition. Uh, they include amino acids such as uh, isoleucine, histidine, alanine, phenylalanine, but they also include the choline. So we can see that the concentration of choline in uh, lymphatic fluid increased as we go from right to left. And as I go from right to left, I go from the control cows that are clustered here to the cows supplement with rumen protect choline. So we believe that uh, by supplying choline in the diet as rim protect choline. This choline is being absorbed and it's being incorporated into the cells, but also is being transferred either to the bloodstream by the portal system, but also being transferred to the lymphatic system, uh, either through recirculation or by uh, being taken up by the lacteals in the intestine. Now, I made the case that choline is lipotropic, so this should uh, reflect into benefits to cows during lactation. So let me show you data from a meta-analysis in which we look at the uh, uh, effects of dose of choline that was supplemented in the diet of transition cows uh, on subsequent postpartum lactation performance and health. So to be part of the meta-analysis, the experiment had to have a control treatment in which cows received zero grams of choline ion, 
and they had to have a treatment that cows were fed rumen-protected choline starting prepartum. And here you can see the amounts of choline ion that were fed to cows starting prepartum. So all the way from 5.6 grams per day to as much as 25.6 grams per day of choline ion. You can see it also that most experiments, most treatment means that we collect for the meta-analysis uh, were in this range here of 9 to 13 grams because most experiments use 12.9 grams uh, feeding rate uh, for cows per day. Okay, so this is one of the responses that we evaluate is energy-corrected milk. And the way you read this figure, this is a forest plot. Each dot represents a comparison in the meta-analysis. The ref references of the experiments are listed here on the left. When the point estimate falls to the left of the central line, it tells you that the response was reduced by the intervention. And the comparison here is how it's rumen-protected choline against the control, which is zero grams of uh, supplemental rumen-protected choline. When the dot falls to the right, it means that the response was increased the uh, uh, gray square represents the weight of that comparison, the meta-analysis, which is listed here. And this is the 95% confidence limit, which is also listed here. And you can see that most point estimates are to the right of the central line. In fact, this is the overall response from the mixed model. And it shows an increment in energy-correct milk of 0.38 standard deviations, which, rep which represents 2.18 kilograms in this data set. So, but then one important aspect of this is that there is a lot of external validity to this data because most points fall to the right of the line, meaning that in different experiments, different farms, different management, different diets, choline increased uh, the response. In other words, energy crack milk. But it also showed that there is heterogeneity in the level of response, okay? So the effect of choline is dependent on other factors, okay? And that's what we explored here, one of which is the dose of choline fat. So here are the controlled treatments. This is the response to level of feeding. This is the overall effect, which is the central line. And you can see as the dose increase from zero to 25.6 grams per day, there was an increase in milk yield, and there was an increase in energy correct milk yield, which is this linear effect of choline in the diet, of dose of choline. But there was also an interaction between dose of choline and concentration of metabolized methionine as a percent of the uh, MP of the diet postpartum, which was something that we explored. So let me show you what this interaction here uh, uh, look like. So this is the metabolized methionine as percentage of the metabolized protein of the diet. So we had experiments. We put all this data into the National Research Council software of 2001. So the predictions are all based on the NRC 2001, which probably uh, uh, predicts a little less methionine supply than other models such as the uh, CNCPS. And you can see if we look at uh, zero grams of choline ion compared with 12 grams of choline ion supplemented, we can see that in diets that are low in methionine, there is a, a substantial increase in milk yield. And in diets that are high in methionine, there is also an increase in milk yield. So in both cases, we see an increase in performance,
but the, in, the increment becomes smaller in, as we increase the supply of metabolized methionine. If we look at energy correct milk, it's the same type of response. We see here a 2.4 kilogram increase with 12 grams. If we go to the maximum level, we see a 4 kilogram increase in milk. If we get to diets that are very high in methionine, 2.4, 2.5, the increment smaller but still present, okay, one to two kilograms more. So the point I'm trying to make here is that although there uh, 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 biochemistry has uh, 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 an interplay. Okay, obviously this is showing that both uh, that that uh, the response of choline is dependent on methionine, but there seems to be an additive effect that even in the presence of high methionine, we still capture a response in milk yield and fat crack milk yield. Now let me show you the effects on health of cows. An important aspect is not all the we had 21 uh, 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 experiments uh, reported for the meta-analysis, but only 11 or 12 of them report disease incidents uh, in cows. Okay, so the data set is not as robust for disease as it is uh, for milk yield, and this is probably why, for many of the diseases, we were unable to detect any uh, impact of choline. But for the risk of retained placenta and the risk of mastitis we saw a reduction uh, with supplementing choline compared to control. And the reason why I'm showing you here choline as a category is because almost every experiment that reported disease fed 12.9 grams of choline ion as room protected choline. So here I make the case that there is a lot of external validity for the uh, production response when cows receive choline. They receive by increasing milk yield and energy crack milk. Okay. But they also respond by reducing the risk of some disease postpartum. Now, in two experiments that we conducted here at the University of Florida, cows were fed rumen-protected choline starting at 255 days of gestation and stopping at exactly 21 days postpartum. So they were fed during the transition period. And you can clearly see that supplementing choline, which is the uh, uh, close uh, uh, symbols here, increased milk production. But uh, more importantly, the increment was extended well above the period of supplementation, up to 40 weeks in the experiment of Marcus Zanobi and up to 25 weeks in the experiment by Juan Bolatti. So in both cases, we saw a two kilogram increase in milk yield for a period of 25 to 40 weeks, although cows were supplemented for only three weeks uh, during or only six weeks during the transition period. And I think that probably part of this extended benefit comes back to the fact that during the transition period, we have the smallest concentrations of choline or phosphatidylcholine in plasma of cows. And probably by supplying choline, we uh, increase the supply of substrate for phospholipid synthesis. And this is right at the time in which proliferation of memory cells uh, are upregulated. So this is uh, the transition period here, and this is activity of choline kinase, that enzyme uh, that phosphorylates choline into phosphocholine. And this enzyme is highly active in the mammary epithelium, such that when there is proliferation of tissue, the enzyme is upregulated. 
So not only the gene is upregulated, the protein is, and the activity of that protein is upregulated. And this enzyme here is a marker for cell proliferation, in particular during breast cancer in humans. So it is possible that by supplying more choline, we increase uh, the abundance of phosphatidylcholine that supplies the mammary gland with substrate uh, for synthesis of phospholipids, and this upregulate the activity of choline kinase uh, because we provide more choline, and this may stimulate memory cell proliferation that results in this extended benefit for lactation performance. Lastly, I want to touch on this concept that uh, uh, probably every cow benefits from choline, and the example that I'm going to use is body condition score. So we went back to our data in two experiments that has about 230 cows, and we asked the question, does body condition score of cows when they enter the close-up period or the close-up pen affect how they respond to choline? So this is the distribution of body condition score of cows in the control treatment in Marco Zenobi's uh, experiment and in the choline treatment, and the same for Juan Bolatti's experiment. So you can see that we have cows that have low body condition or moderate body condition, and we have fat cows, cows that are over-conditioned. Okay? So the question we ask, do these cows that are low body condition respond as well as these cows that have high body condition to supplemental choline during the transition period? And I'll show you the distribution of the body condition score. You can see that we have a wide spectrum of body condition all the way from less than three to more than four in both treatments and there's about 115 cows in each group here. And this is the milk yield and the energy correct milk yield for those cows. And the way you look at this figure is that you can clearly see that as I move from the blue line to the orange line, there is an increase in milk and there is an increase in energy correct milk of about two kilograms per day. And this increase, is independent on body condition score. So let me remove the dots which represents every cow. So you can see here no interaction between supplementing room and protect choline and the body condition score of the cow when she entered the close-up pen. So skinny cows respond to choline with more milk and energy correct milk. Fat cows respond uh, to choline with more milk and more fat correct milk. So just to finalize, I want to present some potential mechanisms for improved production and health when cows receive choline. Obviously, the first one is this classic mechanism that choline provides substrate for synthesis of phosphatidylcholine, which is important uh, to synthesize very low-density lipoprotein particles that export triacylglycerol from the liver, as it's been shown in Usman Arshad's uh, recent work. And this probably explains the reduction in fatty liver in cows that I showed you uh, uh, very consistently from three experiments. By supplying choline to choline deficient diets, we enhance the synthesis of chylomicrons, which is illustrated here in laboratory animals based on uh, the concentration of polypoprotein B48, which is a marker for chylomicrons. And chylomicrons are uh, lipoproteins that uh, facilitate the transport of absorbed lipids in the gastrointestinal tract to be delivered to other tissues. So this would make the case that by supplying choline to animals that are deficient, enhances the ability to transport absorbed nutrients from the gastrointestinal tract to be delivered to other tissues. And in fact, when Marcus Zenobi 
supplemented choline to cows and dosed them with fat, he showed that choline supplemented cows had increased concentrations of triacylglycerol in plasma compared to control, suggesting that probably absorption and transport of lipids is enhancing the gastrointestinal tract of those cows. We are very aware of the fact that cows are uh, uh, predisposed to this disruption in gut structure that results in uh, leaky gut, and deficiency of phosphatidylcholine is a risk factor for leaky gut. Phosphatidylcholine is important for epithelial uh, cell integrity because it's part of synthesis of cell membrane, and the structure of these gap junctions uh, is enhanced when we have intact enterocytes. So when animals are deficient in phospholipids, it's possible that leaky gut that is that might be happening during transition period may be exacerbated. Also, phosphatidylcholine has anti-inflammatory effects. It attenuates the pro-inflammatory response, which probably enhances uh, the integrity of the gastrointestinal tract and improves liver health by attenuating a pro-inflammatory response that might be induced by accumulation of lipids. But uh, phosphatidylcholine has some very, or choline in general, has some other very cool effects. And one of them is this uh, uh, experiment here in which they bred uh, uh, mice to uh, have microbes in the gastrointestinal tract that are unable to destroy dietary choline in, into this trimethylamine oxide. So they had the wild uh, uh, animals that had microbes that destroy choline, therefore the supply of choline to the offsprings, okay, to the offspring of those dams was limited. Whereas in mice that they bred to have this transgenic microflora that is doesn't uh, express the enzymes that degrade uh, uh, choline in trimethylamine, they would have increased supply of choline to the dams as well as to the offspring. And what they observed was that by supplying more of these methyl donors, there was increased DNA methylation. So methylation of histones in the DNA were enhanced. And by methylating, you suppress uh, 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 opening of chromatin. So there is less gene expression. And some of the genes that were suppressed, they were involved with reduction in adiposity, reduction in metabolic disease, and, and changes in behavior of the animals, so less anxiety. So by providing uh, uh, more choline through the uh, less action of these degrading enzymes in the gastrointestinal tract, they changed the phenotype of the offspring of those animals, which is a very cool response. And lastly, I want to leave you with this concept that uh, there is this enzyme, choline kinase, that phosphorylates uh, choline into phosphocholine. And this provides substrate for the novel synthesis of phosphatidylcholine in all cells. But this is probably very important to mammary epithelial cells that are replicating during the onset of lactation. And perhaps by supplying choline, we influence the activity of this enzyme in addition to providing more substrate. And this uh, uh, enhances cell proliferation maintain cell membrane integrity and this may explain the fact that cows keep responding uh, in with additional milk yield and energy crack milk yield well above well beyond the period of choline supplementation so i just want to conclude that i think it's unquestionable that choline fits the criteria of required nutrient in cattle as it does for other species it reduces triacylglycerol uh, infiltration in the liver by enhancing export 
of triacylglycerol as lipoprotein. It benefits lactation and reduces the risk of disease, all important criteria that makes a nutrient required. The response is influenced by the supply of metabolized methionine and by the dose of choline fat, but it's still present even in high methionine diets. The benefits are observed regardless of body condition score. And I think we need to be sensitive to this. It's not just the fat cow that responds, the skinny cow also responds to that. Okay. So it's not, it should not be targeted only to overconditioned cows. It should be targeted at this point to the entire population. And the mechanism that justify improved productive performance, it may be related to increased nutrient intake. I didn't show you this data, but there's some data to substantiate that. Perhaps improved nutrient absorption and integrity of the gastrointestinal tract. Obviously, there is less fatty liver. There is reduction in clinical disease. And perhaps we have this other non-classical mechanism, such as reduced inflammatory response and improved memory cell proliferation. Well, Clay, that's going to be last call. Uh, Dr. S uh, Santos covered a lot of ground in many research studies. In your mind, what is the biggest takeaways for nutritionists and dairy producers from his talk? Our last call question is sponsored by AminoSure XM Precision Release Methionine, the next generation in amino acid balancing. With AminoSure XM, you can save up to five cents per cow per day on your methionine investment. Try it today and receive an additional 2.5 cents per cow per day savings with Belchem's limited time rebate offer. Contact your Belchem representative to learn more. You know, probably the biggest thing was, you know, he spent quite a bit of time, you know, discussing the the uh, most recent uh, meta-analysis that, that was done out of his lab, published back in 2020, um, you know, showing showing the consistency of response to rumor-protected choline across all these transition cow studies, and, uh, and also the fact that uh, you, you get a response to rumor-protected choline no matter what the production level of the herd. It's a very consistent response um, that really ranged from about, you know, 45 pounds of milk in, uh, in the control cows at the low end and up to 100 pounds uh, per cow in these control treatments. So, so nice responses across a very wide range of production levels. Um, he discussed, you know, some potential mechanisms of you know how how choline may work uh, in the transition cow. Some of these we know. Some are still theories at this point. Uh, we know you know we we clearly know it, that it it has a positive effect on on liver health. That and that really has lots of positive effects for this for this fresh cow. Um, but but. It, you know, he he discussed some other potential modes of action that uh, that quite frankly we're studying, trying to learn learn more about. We, uh, at, you know, at, as we're running, um, continue to run research studies with Reassure. We learn something new every time. So he he was he was alluding to some some different uh, potential modes of action that are that are there with choline and the transition cow. And really, um, one of the last things he talked about uh, was based off of uh, actually another another small meta-analysis that they did, looking at um, whether or not the response to rumor protected choline is related to body condition score 
of these uh, of these dry cows because you know there's there certainly has been a thought uh, in the industry that that maybe uh, room protected choline is only for fat cows and that's not true there is um, they looked at they looked at data from different studies it was over 300 cows total and there was absolutely no correlation between uh, prepartum body condition score and the res- and the production response to rumor protected choline. Yeah. So so really shooting down that, that dogma that's that's been out there in some circles. Yeah. So Clay, one of the things I found interesting um, in in the talk was the discussion around body condition score and uh, the feeding of rumor protected choline. Could you kind of touch on that for a moment? Yeah. So they. Um, Jose published a paper, I think it was uh, back in 2021 now, at looking at uh, is, is, there, is there a relationship between prepartum body condition score and the response to rumor protected choline? Because uh, there, th- there's been a dogma out there that only fat cows respond to, to rumor protected choline supplementation. And that was absolutely not true. There was absolutely no... There is no correlation between prepartum body condition score and the response to rumor protected choline. So whether they were thinner cows or heavier cows, they all responded equally uh, with, with increased milk, milk and energy-corrected milk yield. Great summary, Clay. Remember, this is just one in a series of four podcasts around the new revelations in transition cow nutrition. Be sure to tune in for the rest of the series. And if you haven't uh, listened to the first one, go back and listen to the first one uh, by uh, Dr. Mike Van Amberg. Uh, The next podcast will take us uh, into a deeper dive into some of the newest transition cow nutrition research coming out of Michigan State University with Dr. Barry Bradford. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. To all of our loyal listeners, thank you again for coming along for more than 60 episodes and sticking with us as we explore more topics. We hope to see you next time here at the Real Science Exchange, where it's always happy hour and you're always among friends. We'd love to hear your comments or ideas for topics and guests. So please reach out via email to anh.marketing at balchem.com with any suggestions, and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot along with your address and t-shirt size to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash real science to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars. Mm-hmm.